0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined again by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about the new home sales report and what it means for the spring home buying season. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is
1: great to be here, Sarah.
0: It is great to have you. And today we are talking about new home sales and what they mean for the spring home buying market. So jump in. What, what did we see with new home sales this week?
1: You know, it's it's really interesting. The new home sales sector is commonly misunderstood. And I think a lot of times um, people misread the headlines of this sector and think that it has Any kind of really big relationship to the existing home sales market. And and what I mean is that the new home sales market is very small versus the existing home sales market. So, a lot of times in the last, I would say, last 14 or 15 months, people see these charts about housing units under construction. And it's the most ever. Yes, this is true. There's a lot of multifamily construction going on right now uh, on the works. And they equate it to 2008. And they don't stop saying these things, but they don't really understand what that means. A a new home sales market is so much different than the existing home sales market in the sense that builders sell their home as a commodity. They contract something like 16 months ago, and then they have to build a product. And once the home is built and can move in, then the person locks the rate and goes, and what happened is that we've had major cancellation rates just explode higher because you go from a 3% contract to a 7% contract. And a lot of people just don't qualify for the loan. So they can't they can't give you the loan anymore. So you see these cancellation rates, but then all of a sudden the builder's stocks are rallying and the builder's confidence index went positive. And what's going on here? It's really just mortgage rates. And if you look at the new home sales sector as a very small commodity business, of just selling a product, then it makes sense. Uh, monthly supply for new homes hit nine months. Monthly supply for existing home is 2.9 months. Uh, there is a huge difference. I kind of had a joke about this uh, last year. Two rules, Fight Club, right? Number one, we don't talk about Fight Club. Number two, we do not talk about the new home sales monthly supply data and equate it to the existing home sales market. Complete different creatures right there. And I think a lot of the confusion I've seen is that the issues that the builders have are structurally different than what the existing home sales market has. The existing home sale market has a seller that has to sell a property, then traditionally they buy something else with that. A builder has none of that. A builder just basically has to sell a product and they become more efficient home sellers. Uh, I've always thought this with the builders because builders have to s- sell a product and move on. They do not like having completed orders sitting on the books, right? Because then your contracts, uh, buyers go, Hey, wait a second, everyone's canceling. I want a deal. Or, you know, so they, they make sure they could, they could sell. So they're discounting by giving incentives, buying down rates, cutting prices, whatever they need to do, they move products efficiently. So rates are lower. Uh, The market believes the builders can move product better in this environment than what they used to have. If you keep it as simple as that, then some of it makes more sense.
0: So what are we seeing? What's the bottom line? What increase or decrease are we seeing in, in new home sales? And what do you think that bodes for the spring home buying season?
1: The new home sales data hasn't gone anywhere for many months now. The headline number is somewhat artificially inflated because it doesn't count for the cancellations on that month. So the the real sales number is a little bit underneath. But what the builders do is that traditionally within three months after a home is ready, they, they move the product, right? So we're just kind of stuck here until rates get low enough to where the cancellation rates start to fall and then they could grow sales again. Because really, if you looked at the new home sales chart, it's like, Nothing is happening. And you're like, how can nothing be happening right now, right, with all this drama? Well, sales are really historically low right now. They're back to 1996 levels below the recession in 2000. So you're not working from a very high bar. They're just working off this backlog. So just to give you some good numbers, like 71,000 new homes are completed and available for sale, right, to move in. Seventy-one
0: thousand. Wait, how many people do we have in the United States? I know you know this off the top of your head.
1: Over three hundred thirty million people. So we have a civilian labor force work, workforce of about one hundred sixty-four to one hundred sixty-five million. We have seventy-one thousand new homes now. Now the completed homes are basically almost back to what we traditionally say for a home ready to move in. Then there's almost roughly three hundred thousand homes that are under construction uh, that haven't been built yet. So. They've got to build that out. Once those homes are fixed and and ready to go, then what the buyers are right there, can they get those buyers in and then they can move on to the last part of the equation, the 99,000 homes that they haven't even started yet, right? So we are fortunate in the sense that the builders built, uh, sold a lot of spec homes. uh, Because to be honest with you, if they knew rates were going to 7%, a lot of this wouldn't be happening. But they got caught, right? So they're just slowly working their way through the backlog. And this is why housing permits have the ability to fall all year. There is going to be no permits issued until monthly supply gets below six and a half months. New home sales are rising. They feel a little bit more confident. And there we go. So this is such a different marketplace. And this is kind of what happened in 2018. In 2018, new home sales missed so much that we had a monthly supply spike above six and a half months. I even put the housing market in a Kind of a red uh, a, a red flag moment just for there until the builders can get that supply down. The existing home sales market had no inventory growth, really. Only had three mild uh, purchase application year over year declines. Uh, uh, so two different marketplaces. Try not to equate them together because it could get confusing. Because we have such a large historical gap between monthly supply of new homes and existing homes that it could lead people to think like. You know, for the longest time, a lot of people didn't even know that the monthly supply for new homes was for new homes only. Uh, Fred recently changed that to clear up some of the confusion because for years, many years, people just type in monthly supply. They see the new home sales market. Oh, look, They look at all the months. No, no. Two different marketplaces.
0: Rookie move. Come on. If they've been listening to you, they know better because you always pointed out. And it's really helpful once you once you really separate out the two markets because they do operate really differently.
1: Sarah Wheeler, that's why we have the Fight Club rules. We don't talk about <laughs> Fight Club and we do not talk about the new home sales monthly supply and equate it to the existing home sales market.
0: If only everyone followed these rules. Okay, so one of the things that builders have to deal with that you know that uh, existing home sellers don't is that uh, the cost of all the supplies. So lumber, for instance, is something that for the last couple of years has been in and out of the news. We had just crazy spikes in that. Where are we now?
1: Lumber prices have spiked noticeably from the low. Now, context is key. (laughs) We are we came from like seventeen hundred down to like three hundred fifty. Now, one of the interesting things I like to highlight to people that nobody talks about because I'm such a nerd, I'm only I talk about these nerdy things. Lumber prices are basically kind of where they were pre-COVID, right during. The longest economic and job expansion, while we are slowly, new home sales were slowly growing, housing starts were slowly growing. So even the bottom end of the range recently was kind of where we were pre-COVID. So it's not like the builders are getting a great discount. Well, guess what? Recently, lumber prices have taken off and we're basically uh, above the high peak level of the previous expansion pre-COVID. So while, of course, cheaper lumber prices are a lower input cost. Um in historical perspective, it's not like it's getting cheaper, cheaper uh, 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 for the builders. The builders have to deal with labor costs, lumber costs, regulation costs, everything that goes into a new home, which isn't cheap. And this is why a new home on an apple to apple basis is always more expensive than an existing home. Now, one thing I, I highlighted in that article is that the builders are really lucky because back in 2007 active listings were over 4 million. And here they are with declining sales, you know, demand falling. Now, not the case. Active listings NAR is 970,000. It's the only second time in recent modern day history that total active listings are below a million going into the uh, calendar year. So that's their competition. So for right now, they've lucked out. They don't have to deal with too much competition out there. If there was more total inventory in the existing home sales market, those are cheaper homes, right? So uh, uh, they don't have to deal with that as of yet. But if total inventory starts to rise, then the builders are a little bit more mindful because they cannot compete with the existing home sales market, which is this massive marketplace. Uh, But for now, uh, uh, they're just grinding through and If bond yields keep on going lower, then it's more beneficial to them because that's a big driver of their product, uh, lower mortgage rates.
0: Do we know why lumber prices are spiking?
1: There's a lot of trading that goes on in commodity prices that are, you know, to me, a lot of commodity prices when supply is very low, you can get these short bursts in in prices that we, we just don't traditionally see. Uh, I know one of the production mills are, are, are closing down because they don't have. And it's not like they can turn things on a dime. And of course, you know, what happens with Canada, forest fires, So there's all these things that go into commodity prices that in a very short amount of time, you could see a quick spike. And I think a lot of people, some people are caught off guard uh, on the lumber trade. And uh, it, it's, it's a noticeable spike. This is not, you know, we, we have these rallies in lumber prices that just fade out. This one's more aggressive than the other one. So we'll see how this goes. But uh, uh, it's definitely catching the eyes of uh, a lot of commodity traders and a lot of market people, Uh, the percentage increase of lumber prices recently. And some people would say this is just basically lower mortgage rates, better demand for housing, more wood is needed, uh, and the price goes up.
0: Interesting, you know, uh, just not just lumber, but a whole lot of supply chain challenges faced builders over the last couple of years, um, you know, pulling back out to look at, at a larger picture, what are some of the other things that they're dealing with right now? What Where are we when it comes to supply chain issues?
1: Well, they have talked about supply issues are getting better for them. Of course, anything is better once the pandemic ends, you know? So, uh, you know, there are a lot of homes that were built that never had a garage. <laughs> you need a garage. So, uh, I, I think we're, we're, we're working our way back to something that's somewhat normal. We're not all the way back there, but we're working our way back. So a lot of, a lot of ease in, in, in that kind of pressure from the supply chain. And lo- a lot of this is, you know, the, the shipment of goods, you know, is just getting better as, as, as the pandemic ends, demands a little bit weaker. So there's a little bit better movement of supply just in everything in general. Uh, so on that side, it's a positive, right? And the, and builders have noted this, that the supply chains are easing and, uh, but again, they're dealing with labor costs, regulation costs, uh, and new homes are not cheap. Uh, they've got all the bells and whistles. They're not your nineteen sixty four thousand square foot home. That's old, bad carpet. And, you know, so, uh, it's costly. And, 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 one of the things i I try to remind people, Productivity in housing is terrible. It is the worst sector in the United States of America, not just for the last five years, but the last 50 or 60 years. Because why? We still build homes with a hammer and a nail. And we did that in the 50s and 60s. And we're still doing it now. So uh, productivity hasn't made things cheaper. So the cost of labor, of course, is, is, is rising. Uh, um, and uh, uh, it just makes the overall production of a house much more expensive, in relative to other sectors of the economy that have had high pro- uh, productivity rates, where the cost could be lower. Uh, in this sense.
0: How does this fit into, uh, so overall, you know, the last couple of times you and I have talked, we've seen some other really good indicators what we would think of as there are some positive signs for the spring home buying season coming up, right? Rates are falling um, or have fallen off of the, off of the highs. Um, And something that you called actually back in, uh, in the November was October, November.
1: October 27th.
0: October 27th. Okay. It's 30, 30 PM, you know,
1: yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm really big on my dates because there, there's a reason why I pick a certain time to 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 write an article or to do something like that in that nature. And uh, uh, back then, the dollar was getting stronger. We had lots of market drama. If anybody sees a dollar chart, it has gone down noticeably. Things are more calm now, right? Calm is a good thing. Right. Because, I mean, think about how fast rates were moving last year and now it's just slowly moving down. Right. So there's more calm in the marketplace, like people can make choices. Right. It's not like you're okay, Honey, we are going to list our house and uh, we'll be good to go by the end of March. And then mortgage rates were, what, three and a half percent. And then all of a sudden it's six. Oh, honey, I don't think we were going to want to move right now. So uh, in that sense, Things calming down, rates slowly moving lower now at this point. You can get a more stable marketplace where people can make choices, right? Choices mm-hmm. are a good thing. And this is why the new listings data declining last year after uh, uh, June was problematic for demand because why a traditional seller is also a traditional buyer. So you, we think of inventory as supply, but again, that's also a buyer of a future home out there. So that's how the housing market has worked since the Peloponnesian War, but uh, sometimes we forget that.
0: There, is, there was no U.S. housing market since the Peloponnesian War. Let me just put that out there as someone who themselves really loves history, but I appreciate the reference.
1: Always. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so one of the things, you know, uh, mortgage rates key to this, what, you know, we're seeing mortgage rates, you know, there's the official level and then we hear from a lot of people like, hey, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm working with people who are now, you know, we're in the five handle definitely seeing a lot of those things coming at what point do the builders go this is this is where i feel good this is where we're going to build I, I,
1: you know last year when we saw rates go from six and a quarter to five percent the builders were moving product right so uh they they felt good about that now you know as rates coming they're they're paying to get rates as low as possible to move products i think i think you get rates toward five percent okay. Uh, not only the builders, but the existing home sales market, considering how low sales are or the cancellation rates, it's a positive, right? That's that's We just never had any chance to stay there long enough last year. Uh, but again, right now, that 10-year yield just refuses to break. We're bringing Gandalf out as much as we can. You know, you shall not pass. And uh, we're hovering around this level and we're just not being able to break it. So mortgage rates have not Technically, on the headline, broken under six percent. Uh, but uh, uh, it's an interesting battle. On one hand, the labor market jobless claims came out were under two hundred thousand initial claims on the four-week moving average. Uh, historically, that's one of the best labor markets ever recorded in history. There's a lot of people who say these numbers are not correct, and you know the labor market's weaker. Go with jobless claims, initial claims, and continuing claims. Try to ignore all the other noise. I know there's a lot of interpretation with the jobs data. But as someone who talked about not only the COVID recovery will get all the jobs back by September of 2022, but job openings should get over $10 million. There's a lot of people who hate the job openings data. They think it's not showing the proper uh, uh, um, marketplace for labor. But I do not believe the Fed pivots until jobless claims four-week moving average gets to 323000 and that number was there for a reason. It's it, if we get to that point, which I hope we don't. Right? We don't want to hope for recessions to get l- lower mortgage rates. But if it gets to that point, the labor market is 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 broken, and the Fed changes. If we get to that point again, the bond market goes lower. Before that happens, and mortgage rates go lower. So we're far away from that. The growth rate of inflation is falling. Uh, you know, when I wrote the six recession red flag model, I said two things can help us out in the short term. Is Number one, the growth rate of inflation falls, bond yields fall with it. We've seen that. you see a little bit of life in the housing market. The next part, Fed stops its rate hike. The Fed's is closer to the end. Uh, right now, we probably add most, maybe three, 25% uh, rate hikes, and then we'll take it from there. So those things are positives, not only for the U.S. economy, but for the housing market. As we can see, we we had a waterfall dive in demand and we found a little base. We're bouncing off of that because of lower mortgage.
0: So back to the Fed. So we have these jobless claims falling, which is great if you're a person who wants a job and for the labor market, but for the Fed, that signals something different to them. So do you expect that that number or, or what we're seeing this week is going to you know, push them one way or the other on this pivot?
1: You know, the Fed has a problem in the sense that they can't really raise the terminal rate where they think – uh, any more than they've guided. Now, some people say, look at jobless claims are, are there's no weakness in the labor market. Wages are going to take off. Well, wages really aren't taking off like some people have talked about. So I think the growth rate of wages falling right now is what the Fed wants to see without the labor market getting tighter. I mean, worse. So they'll take that victory um, because they front loaded these rate hikes and they just want to stay up here for longer. That was the whole game plan. So they don't want to over-hike to force them to cut rates quicker. So they're finding that equilibrium. Remember, talking tough, financial conditions getting tighter. Well, financial conditions aren't getting tighter anymore. So they're kind of stuck here because to go higher at this point with the growth rate of inflation falling and wage growth slowing down, uh, they don't really have a talking point unless they create a new one. Uh, stock traders will make up anything to to just, I just, whatever. God, I mean, every day there are some the Fed these the, listen, everyone, honestly, do not listen to stock traders on Twitter, or uh, this is a whole different creature out there. They are all over the place. And it's just I I you know, there's a reason why these people seem a lot of doom and gloomish all the time, because the ones who get her the most attention are usually the most bearish people on planet Earth. But they a lot of the times they don't believe it, right? They don't believe it because a lot of these people are net long. If you don't believe me, ask them for their accounts. They're net long. Everyone's up on the markets this year because they're net long. They're not like 100% short. So uh, just be a little bit careful of listening to stock traders because it's crazy town out there. Uh, But a lot of times stock traders use, oh, jobless claims are not rising. Fed's got to hike rates. Inflation, inflation, inflation. Genetically speaking, a lot of these people are anti-Central Bank people as well. So <laughs> Genetically <the> speaking. <laughs> I mean, they're just born into this. I, I just I cannot believe that there was a summer camp as a child. And we are, we are going to teach you to hate the Fed. So when you're a grown adult, by the time you're middle age, you're going to sit there and tweet out, I hate the Fed, they have to raise hikes or whatever. Whatever, whatever it is, they never changed. They literally have done this for decades. And they're all, they all made money in the stock market. And they're all net long. And they're so angry. Still, they can't get over it. <laughs> and they're old. <laughs> so I just, I just, I, I always tell people, be careful of stock traders, right? Especially those that hate the Federal Reserve. You, a lot of a lot of people that hear me on here, that see me on Twitter, who do you think I battle with? It's them. They have really dumb names, same Twitter, fake account names. They run around with, and they're just, they can't let it go. And part of me kind of loves that. Because they, you live in the United States of America this day and age, you got the golden ticket, right? But you spent your life crying about the bed. I mean, oh, think about the misery you put yourself into, right? And you just, yeah, a lot of these people missed the longest economic expansion in history. They missed a COVID 19 recovery. They were talking about a recession that happened in January. They're angry angry old people live angry old lives until they pass off to the afterlife and then they'll be set free cuz they never have to look at a fed federal reserve ever again so <laughs> this, this is my rant on stock traders be
0: i was going i was going to say i i i pushed the button i did i pushed it
1: yeah so in, in this case there, there there is there is there is a case to be made that the, the fed hasn't hiked enough because not a lot of people are losing jobs and we have to destroy the economy just to get inflation down and inflation's never down so Uh, You know, there there are some valid points to that. If wage growth was accelerating higher and if uh, the growth rate of inflation was accelerating higher, those two things are not happening now. So I think that's that's where the difference is. Um, Now, you're going to see, of course, lumber prices are back up, oil prices. They're going to take this. You can have uh, oil prices stay elevated and still have the growth rate of total inflation uh, still stay low. I mean, we saw that, you know, from t- 2011 to 2014, oil prices were much higher for longer. It's just a growth rate. A lot of this, again, is just rent inflation. This is why we need the builders to get those apartments out, out and about, right? Because the best way to fight inflation is to add supply because that supply will always be there. Destroying inflation with demand destruction, not the best because it eventually hits into the uh, production capacity, and that's never a good thing.
0: Well, can you believe it, Logan? We are already at the end of our time. We got we got in a lot. We got in home builders. We got the Fed. We got unemployment. We got the Peloponnesian War. We got stock traders. <laughs> so this was a great episode. Thanks so much for being on. We will talk to you again soon.
1: Pleasure to be here, Sarah.
0: Success might look different this year, but it's out there for
1: those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging
0: opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large.
1: Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace
0: for what's next in our industry.
1: 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the Rolling Hill Country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st.
0: Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com and we can't wait to see you in Austin. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.